seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Ten Houser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, thanks for joining us. We took a couple weeks off there. Uh, I know you guys are all concerned um, that we haven't put out any, any, any new uh, podcast in a couple weeks. We just decided to just take a break before the Christmas holiday kicks in because we got our Christmas lineup picked, as you all know. And uh, so we just want to take a little breather there. Um, so, But we're back and we're here to talk my boy... Harrison Ford. We did mention, we did talk about Harrison Ford uh, with The Fugitive. Uh, I think we all kind of agreed that Harrison Ford is one of those actors that can pull off both. He could be a movie star and an actor. Yes. In the 70s, very, 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 very early 80s, he was known for two parts, Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Um, I'm sure he does appreciate being in those roles because those are the roles that put him on the map. However, he wanted to go outside the box and do something differently, different. And so he chose this little film called Blade Runner. Not a bad idea, because you get Ridley Scott, who's hot off the Alien project. And it's kind of in the genre he knows quite well, sci-fi. But this one is a little more hardcore, more R-rated, more of an adult science fiction film. So he wanted to tackle something a little different, and I applaud him for doing that. Now, as we all probably know the rumors, he was not a fan of this film until recently. I think he's mended, mended ties with Ridley Scott and the gang. But the, things, the two things he hated the most about the film, and I completely agree with them, was some of the editing choices... And most importantly, the horrible narration that it came with. um, He thought the movie was smart enough. The audience would be smart enough. You don't need him narrating it. And he is completely right, because I've seen both versions. And uh, so we'll dive into that as we talk Blade Runner. Well, I would also say as well, apparently um, during the filming of it, um, well, you've already sort of suggested it, but apparently um, Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott really didn't get on. 
Yeah, and that's probably, yeah. You know what's funny? Because you usually have actors just shut up and do your job and let the director mm-hmm. do his thing. And it is really Scott. The guy knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But this time around, when you look at the stuff, and really Scott actually even edited it, got rid of the narration, He would, Harrison Ford might have been right. Yeah, apparently there was um, issues with um, Ridley Scott was not used to the way things were filmed in, uh, in America. Um, apparently that was the issue. Um, apparently the way films are made to do with the crew and the way things are set up and who's in charge of whatever. Apparently it's different, or at least it was back then. It's um, different in Britain as it is to America. And apparently this sort of threw Ridley Scott for six a bit. And apparently it caused a lot of, you know, sort of conflict with the crew. And also it appears the cast as well, or at the very least um, Harrison Ford. So, well, yeah, uh, apparently there, there was difficulties there from a technical point of view. I get that, but it's growing pains, you know. I mean, really, Scott's obviously adapted to, to the market, and mm-hmm. you know, Blade Runner's... It's funny, because in the 80s, 82 to be exact, you have mm-hmm. two of the biggest cult cult movies ever produced, which is Blade Runner and mm-hmm. The Thing. Yes. And both box office disasters. Both weren't critically received. Now they're mm-hmm. critically received. I don't know, I don't know yeah. how they... I never understand how a movie can be critically received when it wasn't critically received when it first came out. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption is another yeah, one. Yeah, Shawshank would be another one. So you have these... Uh, but... Exorcist 3? You know, Ridley Scott, he, he, he learned to adapt. And you're going to have, you know, teething issues. Did I get it? Teething? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, I thought. He, he also, and this is 100% true, he also um, originally, as a, as a young sort of upcoming sort of filmmaker and, you know, working behind the scenes and stuff, he sort of learnt part of his ropes on the set of classic Doctor Who. All right. Well, you, know, you know, we're done. <laughs> I, I'm fucking done. <laughs> you, know, you know, people, I'm going to tell you a story before you get into Blade Runner. Because <laughs> um, I'm gonna fucking just, I'm gonna kill him. I'm just gonna, I mean, I, I just, I can't take it anymore. Um, so we, we're, you know, we picked all of our Christmas titles up already. But in doing so, I, all these cool Christmas movies are coming out, right? And there's one called Violent Night. It looks pretty good, David Harbor. And then you got there's another one coming out called Christmas Bloody Christmas, or Bloody Christmas Bloody, whatever it's called. But it's coming out. Yeah. We won't have time to get to it. We'll do a point next year. But mm-hmm. the basis of the story, folks, is a Santa, robot Santa, goes nuts and starts killing people in the small town. It looks <laughs> fucking awesome. It's got a good budget. It's got decent little cast behind it. Good director. It's a competent director, I guess you can say. So, And it looks really fun. Laser eyes, you know, stupid Terminator-esque Santa killing machine. Mm-hmm. So I, I present this, this package to uh, Trevor here. And the first message is, you know what, fuckers? They're stealing this right from Doctor Who. <laughs> now, I'm gonna, I don't care what production company's making this film. I don't give, I don't care if it's some B grade production company or it's fucking 20th Century Fox. But I will tell you this right fucking now. Nobody sitting in that boardroom goes, hmm, God, we gotta make a film. I don't know what, what anybody have any ideas? Oh, I know. What about fucking episode of uh, 2013 of uh, Doctor Who with the killer robot Santa? Let's steal that. It was actually that's, a 2005 that's, no, episode. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> Let's do that. 
<laughs> so let's. Well, there's similarities. No, just you say. need. I don't know what to, went on. Doctor Who is not influence. There's no influencing Doctor Who. They're they're can't be. They're creepy. Doctor Who's. I got. Listen, I'm not going to. I'm not going to disrespect Doctor Who because it's been around for years, and over here in the UK, it is considered. It's you know, our Star Trek. It's, massive. it's our Star Trek. Yeah. And yeah. so I won't sit there and degrade it, but it's not exactly. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I just as soon as I heard about Robot Santa's, here's me fuck that sad episode oh. of Doctor Who with David David Tennant's um, first proper um, adventure back in two thousand and five. Hear me, that's the, the first thing that I thought of. Is it a coincidence? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I just don't know. Let's uh, let's just end this. Uh, I give I them apo- the benefit of the doubt. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> back to play it Yes, right. back to competent filmmaking. Um, <laughs> Jesus, never. I can't. I can't do this anymore. I just Doctor Who and X Files. <laughs> fuck me. Um. All right. So, yes. So we talked Harrison Ford quite a bit here, and we've talked Ridley with the alien, obviously. Uh, quite actually, the three people we're talking. The first three people we're mentioning. We we talked about this when we talked about quite a bit. Harrison Ford, Ridley Scott, and the great, great talented Philip K. Dick. Now, mm-hmm. Philip K. Dick died very young, very young age, really sadly. But he uh, has given us little little films called Minority Report, Total Recall, The Adjustment Bureau, Paycheck, Next, Screamers, and, of course, Android, do Android, Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which we call known as Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. I looked this up. I tried to find out why they call the movie Blade Runner, and there's no reason. That, they they just made it up for the yeah really really Scott saw the term a Blade Runner is axe I think it's a guy who literally runs blades like uh, surgical blades for yeah. to hospitals so they mm-hmm. call him the Blade Runner and Ridley Scott just liked the name it has nothing to do with the film I'm looking it up is it like a robot slang or something nope mm-hmm. it means nothing it sounds cool basically yeah it sounds cool. Uh, this one we got uh, Harrison Ford, Sean Young, Rucker Howard, Daryl Hanna, Joanna Cassidy, Edward James Olmos, Brian James, William Sanderson, Joe Turkel, who we all know from The Shining. Nice to see yep, him. The Barman. Yep. Floyd. We got, uh, and the great, great, love to see him, the wonderful James Hong. Mm-hmm. I like James Hong. Um, so there you go. Where do we start? I know we talked about Different director's cuts. So the one that we're going to be talking about is the one without the narration, because the narration was fucking pointless. All right, so the one I watched was the director's cut, final cut, I think they finally called it. Long story short, they got rid of the narration. Um, yes, that's the one I watched for this podcast. Yeah, I, 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 thank God. Harrison Ford was so right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm watching this, and when, when I remember... My brother Paul won to see this, the screening of this in 82. Right. And my dad right. had to go with him. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was WKRP. Well, not WKRP, that's a TV show. Uh, KDWB, or one of our radio shows in Twin Cities there. That's how he mm-hmm. won it, I think. And he came back. I know he really loved it. He was a big fan of like Tangerine Dream, Bon Jealous. Yeah. That, that, you know, the stuff we all like now. Yeah. He was a big fan of it. And he really, obviously, Enjoyed it. I was the big Harrison Ford fan, though. I was the I was I was the kid. I wanted my Harrison Ford. Yeah. My my dad my my dad telling me it's quite dark for Harrison Ford film. Mm-hmm. And uh, watching it as an adult now, and uh, watching it quite a few times, I'm gonna kind of say this. 
Harrison Ford's character is kind of a douchebag in this, and he's not very likable. Now, that's not, it, it, doesn't take, well, that's it, doesn't, it doesn't take away from the film, don't get me wrong, but the good guys are actually the replicants. Yeah, well, that's the great thing about it. This is proper adult writing. Yeah. Um, and that it, it's there's ambiguity there of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It's not like sort of pantomime villains. It's not like Star Wars, for example. And, you know, I have a lot of love for the original sort of trilogy of Star Wars. But this is more adult and it's more sort of, you know, there's grey lines there over, you know, nobody is... Because this is a very sort of dystopian, bleak future where it's set in. So nobody really comes across too well, you know, um, like real people. Um, the characters, the, you know, the villains and the heroes, um, they have their good points and their flaws, and that's the, that's just proper adult writing, and the way it fucking should be, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I agree to that hundred percent. I mean, the story is quite simple. I mean, that's and it, it, it comes off like this. It would be this deep, dark, and you have to watch it with viewings to understand. You don't. It's quite simple. Yes. And but what's not simple is the, the conflicting character traits. Yes. And because you'll have this... It's a character-led film as yeah, opposed to well, a plot-led film. It's more about these characters' inner conflicts mm-hmm. rather than Turmoil, what's going on yeah. around them. Um, yes. Harrison Ford, I'm Absolutely. really confused with, to be honest with you. Um, but we'll, we'll dig a little deeper into it. Uh, obviously, y'all know the story. Nexus 6 team escape and these Nexus 6 droids... And they're being hunted by a Blade Runner. There you go. Now, yeah. let's talk about the opening scene. I'm a little confused. Okay. Now, these, they keep, every time you see uh, Pris come on, or you see Rachel come on, whether they're coming in from the dark or from a shaded area, they have yes. these eyes, like these owl eyes. Yes. That makes them replicants. Yes, that's correct. Well, yeah. How come they have to do these massive tests? To make sure they're replicants, if they can just look in their eyes and go, oh, that's a replicant. Um, that, that's a fair point. Um, although, I, again, going by the recent sequel, I think it's almost like the um, part of the test is, you know, they can still test known replicants to see if they are functioning correctly and are they developing emotions? Are they de- perhaps um, going too far with their emotional development and stuff? But yes, it is a bit of a sort of plot device. Um, yeah, it's a fair point, um, but I do believe, well, going by the sequel anyway, that they do these interviews to replicants, knowing that they're replicants as well. That's why it brings me to the first question, because when you have Leon being interviewed, mm-hmm. and he asks him about his mother, and he shoots the interviewer, yes. um, I, I don't get why the interviewer just didn't kill him, because he knows he's a replicant then. Uh, no, but I think he might know that he, uh, you know, maybe he knows he's a replicant. Oh, the, the interviewer, I don't think it's an actual Blade no, Runner. No, he is. He mentioned, they say that in the film. Right, okay, fair enough. He goes, the first um, Blade Runner was unsuccessful. He's breathing too right through a machine. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I thought he was just like the sort of, maybe like some sort of police, just regular detective That's guy. That's what I thought, him. until it's mentioned he yeah. is a Blade Runner. Okay, fair enough. Um, but um, I think... Basically, um, he wasn't too... I think my sort of take on it was that he sort of knew that this guy was a replicant, but he wasn't too sure if he was one of the six that escaped, you know, the dangerous ones that escaped from this slave sort of um, colony. Okay. You you know? 
he was just actually trying well he needed concrete proof that this was actually one of the six that he's looking for i think he pretty much knew he was a replicant yeah okay all right well i think when the blade sort of makes sense i I think i just don't get why they need these uh eye machines you know Mm because uh he uses the same eye machine that uh deckard will be using coming up on rachel and so I don't even think they need to use any machines at all because it's pretty fucking obvious. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I don't understand how they have to have search for I mean, because wouldn't they have pictures of these droids, the replicants? Maybe it's red tape. Maybe they have to have, you know, it's like a legal thing in, within this universe where they have to have, you know, complete proof that they are actual replicants or the, or the replicants that they're looking for. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, so... He goes... Okay, so... Deckard, I'm going to assume he's a burnt out. He's he's mm-hmm. a gun for hire. Blade Runners are you not even so much gun for hire. I think he's just very jaded, and that comes across like you say he's quite a dark character, a bit of a douche. That sort of ties in with the fact that he's world weary. He's you know seen horrific things. He probably doesn't agree with maybe the whole sort of which is essentially a commentary on slavery where the replicants are created to be slaves. There has also been, of course, the big theory that perhaps um, Deckard is a replicant himself. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. Which we know, which we know he's not. Yes, yes, we know that no, now. No, really Scott said from day one. I don't know why people thought right, he was a replicant. Well, let's have a question about that, too. And that's with the uh, unicorn. All right, so mm-hmm. I'm going to be controversial here. Ooh. Good. I like controversial. They should have written out Rachel. This whole relationship was fucking stupid. I wanted, uh, I wanted more Beatty. I wanted Rucker Hauer. He's barely in mm-hmm. it. He's not in it enough. We needed. But some of the best villains are like they withhold them. You know what I mean? Now, no, this whole racial was was fucking boring and stupid. It just and every scene they were in, they're talking like twenty minutes. Like fucking move on, go kill something. <laughs> you know, I, it's it was just so. Dreadful. I like it. And she, Sean Young, I think it works. So I know she's a robot or something, but she's just so bland. And we're gonna mm. get to that in twenty forty nine. And yeah, it's I don't know. I think this whole whole I wanted more of a day in more the action. life. No, not action. A day in the life of a replicant. I wanted to see mm-hmm. what Rucker was doing and kind of maybe give him more of that he's not the bad guy. You kind of pepper that in yes. a little bit besides giving it to us at the very end. I think it would have been mm-hmm. kind of cool. Maybe he saved somebody, a kid or something, uh, from a car, or something. Or even well, give, us something like, give, give, us, give us more Leon. <laughs> Leon was barely in it. You know, give us more. I like yeah, I liked, I liked Brian James who played him. And yeah. he, he you know, give us more Leon then. Give us something more. Get rid you know of what I Rachel. really liked about the Rachel um, subplot, let's just call it, I really like the fact that um, it's suggested, well, it's not suggested, it's pretty much um, stated that um, Wyatt basically had a niece and she died, so he created um, Rachel in her image and gave her, her, her you know, his dead niece's um, memories and stuff. That's pretty dark, and, you know, there's all sorts of moral sort of questions being asked there about, you know, um, and then the whole God-creator thing and stuff. I really like that aspect of it. As for the sort of love story thing, 
it did feel a bit forced and a bit sort of although they do sort of explain it more in the sequel that it was all done by design but um you know it was all you know basically Deckard was set up um to follow yeah, up with but her you can't, but this sequel is never going to come out this is yes, this I is 37 years later it's so we have to calling. go by what yes, this film yes, is giving us now okay yes no no I, I hear you and i'm pretty much agreeing with you but um yeah i did find the love story element a bit sort of forced and it was a bit sort of did sort of drag on a bit i I could see the point to it and it does you know sort of um it does forward the plot and it does add layers of depth to you know the characters especially deckard and you know rachel but uh, and also wyatt you know played by joe turtle but um at the end of the day yeah perhaps maybe should have focused on more on the other replicants like Barry and the Daryl Hannah one and stuff, and you know the one who worked in the strip club with the yeah, snake and stuff. Yeah, I, I, uh, Zora. Now, so they don't, mm-hmm. so they don't like. Now nah, I'm not. Gonna, I don't need my spoon fed for me, but I'm going to yes. assume he's an alcoholic because there's a scene where he is after talking to Rachel and going to see Tyrell when he mm-hmm. wants to get the the sheets of these these. Uh, Replicants, and yes. and so he can ID him. And when he leaves, she shows up at his place, and mm-hmm. he's just erratic. He's very jumpy and very nervous, and he's very blah, blah, calm. And then, the, and then, like a second later, he's calm and relaxed. And it's not because yeah. she popped up. Boo! He's a cop. He can handle that. There was something wrong with him. Now I don't know if that's the direction he was given. What he's going like it was almost like he was going through withdrawal. Because then he goes, he well, goes quickly but, but, and I mean, he grabs a drink. Maybe there's a little bit of a take on that. I just sort of got the impression it was more because um, even though he knew she was a replicant, he was still, for want of a better phrase, falling in love with her and it was making him uncomfortable. Her, her, her being around was making him uncomfortable because he was falling in love with her and he didn't want he didn't want to fall in love with anything. He just wanted to be alone. He was a grumpy, uh, sort of world-weary, sort of you know former detective now brought out of retirement um he just wanted to be left alone but next thing he finds himself fall falling in love with the the, the sort of the breed the sort of race of these androids that he is his job is to kill you know so that's obviously made him deeply uncomfortable he probably had a bit of a drink problem as well um yeah because you know it, this is this is very pulp film noir but set in the future oh, I, I know that I, I do see a lot of that and you know um but it's very hard, and he's almost like the hard-boiled detective. You yeah, know? I just think with their scenes, I wanted to sleep because the music is brilliant. Don't get me wrong; I'm not dissing the music. Von Jealous, Von Jealous is very good in it, but he's it's very somber. It's very, it's you know, it's Whimsical. yeah, it's it's very just relaxed. And so, anytime those two are on, in, very yitty, when those two are you in, know. you know, in the same room, and they're talking for twenty fucking minutes, I was so bored. And then, what about the really weird sex thing? Yeah, that there that when this first came out, there was controversy, and a lot of people thought it was rape mm-hmm. because he kept kind of forcing himself on her, and mm-hmm. she says no, and then she said, then he makes her re- repeat, say you love me, say you love me, say you want it. Say there's a lot more context to it. It's because the replicants aren't supposed to have any emotions, but he believes that he he's pretty pretty much certain. That he, he's trying to encourage her emotions. Do you, do you know if that makes sense? Uh, I wouldn't class it as real. I I wouldn't either. Or, but it was still. I think the problem is when the film came out. Pe- it is a weird one. People did not want to see Harrison Ford in this light. 
So they, they yes. this is his first role outside the box. So I think people are just throwing off. Here's Han Solo yes. going, to, you know, and Indiana Jones, yeah. you know, with the short haircut and this alcoholic kind of. Renegade. He's cop. a fucking actor. People need to fucking differentiate. Well, I know, but I can see that. You the get, actor you know, and the you, character. You take your play. kid to go see Indiana Jones. Once Harrison Ford, you just don't realize. It quickly yeah, it, well. it quickly went away that, that this was rape. No one really mm-hmm. took it any further than that. But I'm just saying. There's much more context to the scene, but it is weird. Um, but if you one. take it in full context of the story and what has, you know, when, and this, you know, created universe and stuff, it is not rape to me. So when Leon and. Batty go to uh, Chew, the guy who makes the eyes, James Hong. Yes. So he tells him, go to Sebastian, because Sebastian mm-hmm. can get you into Tyrell. Yes. Uh, corporation. And they kill him, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so when Sebastian is first, I love Sebastian. This is a likable, likable character. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Her, he, he's a real sort of heart and soul of the... Um, you know, he, he's a real humanity. I, I know, and that's why I'm pissed when they kill him. I but that's just for emotional weight. Um, and like a powerful sort of, you know, dramatic sort of um, gut punch. They didn't show and it. what is a very say, sort of grim the, film anyway. If they kind of wanted to go that route, they should have showed it, but they don't. They just see, mm-hmm. you, know, you just see uh, Batty walking toward him after he kills Tyrell. That Tyrell. He's basically, um, you know, the, the, he is the sort of the, the human heart to this film. You know what I mean? And the most likable character. Yeah, he is. He is. He's got uh, that Benjamin Buttons thing going, doesn't he? Is that what he has? Yes. He has the, I can't remember the actual name for the condition, but it is a real yeah, condition. he's older. Where he, he's young, but he ages, like, dramatically. You know, he, he, he's basically 25, and he's in the body, and the sort of face of a sort of man touching 60. Um, the scene, what I liked, when... He's like a child. When Batty takes, when he goes up, with Tyrell to Tyrell and mm-hmm. Rucker Hauer. Now the director's cut, they cut the violence out, believe it or not. Usually director's cuts, they give you the violence, but this one they cut out because mm-hmm. in the, obviously when he gouges out Tyrell's mm-hmm. eyes, the ice. they showed the blood, but in this ver- the new version, they cut it because Ridley Scott didn't want to show it. Initially. The version I seen, what you believe is the final cut. I think it's still quite graphic uh, with blood, with some blood. At I least. didn't see any blood in mine. The fu- I got the final mm. cut. I do know the dude sort of cut away, like. But it's, you know what the problem is? There's not many fucking versions of this. I know, no kidding. But yeah. I don't mind it. I didn't want to see it. I didn't need to see it. Uh, I, well, suggestion can sometimes be more powerful than actually, you know, a graphic sort of scene. But when he does it, mm-hmm. it's a great conversation between creator and the monster. Yeah. The monster turns into creator. But yeah, I've been all this time watching it. I was. He's crushing his eyes in, and he's yeah. crying, Batty. He's well. He's emotional. He's emotional. He's done mm-hmm. it. He's been, he's been developing yeah, emotions. And I, th- and it's, I thought it was because he's he's killing his father technically, mm-hmm. but yes. it's not. I think it's because by him doing this, he knows there's no cure for him. He's dead. Mm-hmm. So he's. There's a lot going on. Well, yeah, so he's killing his point. maker, and it, it and and because he has, to, he's killing his maker for doing this to him. He knows he's dead. But also as well, um, you have to remember. Um, you would um, assume that these replicants, whenever they start to properly develop emotions, they they're like children. They're like two year olds uh, emotionally. Do you know what I mean? 
because they've never had emotions before, so they'll, they'll throw tantrums. Yeah, that's why they that's have the four years to yeah. live because they, they don't. They will be overly emotional. Yeah, they don't want them to get emotional. They don't want them to learn mm-hmm. to adapt and how to feel and yes. stuff because that's so they give them that four year deadline because they don't want them to start having thoughts and start having their yes. own you know decisions and blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, because then they're going to get pissed off at the fact that they're slaves, and well, that's that's basically is what happened with the six that have escaped. Well, that's why you, when you meet Pre, Daryl Hallett's character, Pris, sorry, yes. Pris, she's very childlike. Very yes, childlike. Yeah. Can I just say as well what I absolutely love, and I find the, and I find them really creepy, but in the best possible way, Sebastian's um, creations. You know, they're like toys. I thought they were like kind of stupid. Toys. No, no, I think they're creepy as hell. But in the bit, <clears throat> you know, they're obviously played by either children or dwarves or whatever. But yeah, I think they're very, very effective. And then Press sort of becomes one of them as well at times. And it's, yeah, that's good. There's something very gothic and weird and creepy about all of that. But I really liked it. Now, another controversial scene in the film is there's two reasons and is the death of the women, Zora and mm-hmm. Pris. Now, Zora gets shot in the back three times, and mm-hmm. it is a horrific death. I'm going to tell you now, it's a tough watch. I mean, it is horrific. Um, and it's ballsy. Yeah, but 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 it's, no, yeah, it's don't, gotta, don't start yeah. saying it's only a movie. That's getting stupid. People have it right. That's true, but you, you got to get over that. I mean, you can <laughs> say, oh, "Let's go watch raping a child." It's only a movie. No, you know, I know that there, but you know, ultimately, you gotta, you know, no, yes, no, I, no. People were right. I was, I was thrown back. I don't mind it now. I've seen it home so many times, but when you see. A man gunning down a woman in the back, and she's flying through blinds of glass. He shoots her. That gun's fucking badass, by the way. But within, but by, I know what it is. But by, but but within the context of this world, where it's a bleak world, and you know what I mean. Everything society is basically on the verge of complete breakdown, and his character, you know, um, Deckard, is this basically gun for hire, even though he technically works for the police. Um, so. It's in keeping with the character and the story and the world created. Uh, yes, it's powerful. Yes, it's a bit, but shocking almost. Almost. Um, but well, the first time you see it, I would, I would and then say, when you yeah, sh- and then when he shoots uh, pre, she yes. just has that spasm and just goes nuts. Yes, it's I, a horrible. Yes, know, and then he blows her again. But also, you have to. What I would say as well, within context, they are not actually women. They're basically. Robots. I know. I I understand that. When you watch it a couple of times, you you kind of you yes. adapt to it. But it, it's obviously done for like a sort sort of like a, you know to, to add a bit of powerful drama to things, and you know it it is a bit of a yeah. Um, I think they were. This is an adult film. This isn't for children. So you know, shit. Unfortunately, you know, shit like this. I'm not saying shit like this is a science fiction film, but you know, violence is real. Violence is in the real world. You know what I mean? And this is very much, although it's a science fiction film set in the future, um, it, it's very much grounded. So, the, the it, and the violence within it is believable. It's not like Star Wars where, um, say, fucking stormtroopers are getting shot and fucking banging their heads off the door that's coming down and stuff. Or, you know, being really bad shots himself. This is grounded, a grounded realistic world, albeit a futuristic science fiction one. All right, you're a sick bastard. That's what I, that's no, what I, guys, no. that's what I got out of this whole thing, right? All right, so let's move on. Sick bastard. The world is violent, and this is a reflection I, I, of it. I understand, but I don't think you understand what we're saying. But 
You don't because you went on for 45 minutes. You went on 45 minutes about it's okay to blow this woman <laughs> in the back. And, and no, 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 no. <laughs> what I'm no, saying no. is. It's okay. We're done. We'll move on. You sick, <laughs> twisted freak. What I'm saying is I get the argument against it, but I disagree with the argument All against right. it. But I still well, you're, you're, you're pro. You're okay with any kind of violence in cinema. You um, are. You are. As long as fiction, it, uh, I can't complain. Yeah, if it's I, fiction, if it is fiction and it is not real, if it's play acting, there and no one is actually being physically harmed, then it has a right to yeah, exist. Yeah, all right. If it's a part of a story, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying at times it's not. I'll give you an no, example. No, don't. I no. I'll give you an example, and it's not Doctor. Oh Green, no! I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll give you an. If example. you say Cannibal Holocaust, uh, I'm going to kill you. No, I'm not going to say Cannibal Holocaust. You sick bastard. Talk about another a video nasty. Oh, no, no. Um, the go. film I Here we go, kids. Is, an, is incredibly nasty in the rape and violence scenes, and I, f- I find it quite very difficult to watch, yes. um, especially the gang rape scene yeah, and stuff. Seen it. However, from a fictional point of view, the fact that it is fiction is play acting and it was cons- made by consent and adults, then it has a right to exist as a film, and I'm not sort of going to protest. I think it's it. one of those things, though. Yes, it has the right to exist. They have the right to do what they want, but you got to think about why would you make it? Yes, <laughs> do you know yes, what I mean. Yes. So you got that's yes. where the mentality of this comes from. It's not because it's consensual and they could do get away with it. It's because why would you make this? That's but forward, where it and also forwards. But yes, but in the ter- in, in the context of Blade Runner. Oh no, I'm not, um, yeah, we're comparing days, apples and oranges. No, I spit on no, your no, grave it, is a it, lot. It more. works, but, but let, let me finish. It works in this film because it also. Um, shows that it adds more to the character of Deckard, and from an audience point of view, it's quite shocking. And you know, cinema should and storytelling as a whole should be all about shocking and surprising. Yeah, and, and, again, and, like, we got to move on from this. Be honest with you, man. Uh, okay. And it's, I, I'm not. <laughs> we're not, guys. If you're listening to this, I'm not like crying over this. I just think for a movie not. at the time, '82, and he has Harrison Ford, and he's shooting women in the back. Han Solo, it's tough to watch. By yeah. today's standards, okay, fair enough. Yo, yeah, all right. But mm-hmm. we went way off, way off, you know, on that one. That was good, but I yeah, that to yeah, be. of course you did. You, probably, you enjoyed the girl getting yeah beaten, uh, shot in the back. <laughs> yeah, you sick bastard. I'm not saying I enjoyed it. I'm saying from um, a dramatic okay, we don't point of view, it totally know, worked. I'm from, clearly from teasing at this point. <laughs> all right, so, um. There's 25 minutes left. Mm-hmm. This is the best part of the film. And it's just him him and Harrison chasing each other. Yeah. Well, obviously, we talked about Harrison suits press. Yes. And and Batty's back. Now, Batty's slowly dying at this point. The nice, the nice continuity mm-hmm. about this film is that every time you see Rucker, he's fading away. Especially yes. in his eyes. There's a shot where... And what's even more tragic is he knows it. Yes, and there's a shot where he's looking, he's all you know wet from the rain, and his eyes just—he looks like a zombie almost. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful shot. Well, this is this is sort of this um, sort of finale is, it's borderline gothic. You know what I mean? Just with the setting and the sort of it's you know it's it's horror film esque. Oh know? yeah, and he's got to take the nail, shove it in his hand mm-hmm. to keep him alert. Yes. Well, there's something about, I think there's some sort of commentary there about Christ and the crucifixion as well, you know. Um, you know, that to save humanity and, you know, he's almost like saying, you know, is he human or whatever? I'm not too sure exactly. Maybe I'm barking completely up the wrong tree. 
but um, there does seem to be some symbolism there with the whole, you know, sort of the crucifixion of Christ and stuff. When I almost got a Hitcher feel, I know it's mm-hmm. the Hitcher is my favorite, my favorite Rocky Horror film, and mm-hmm. the the whole point. Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen the Hitcher, guys, I'm about to give something away. So I'll give you five seconds. Five, four, three, two. Ha ha! I'm starting early. <laughs> so the whole point of the Hitcher was he wants C. Thomas Howell to kill him. He mm-hmm. wants C. Thomas Howell to blow his. He, he wants him to take his life because he can't stop mm-hmm. what he's doing. Yes. Was this is what Batty was doing? Because he, he gets his hand. Oh, I hate this scene where he breaks his fingers. Then he puts mm-hmm. the gun back in his hand and he keeps telling him, "You're missing me. You're missing me." Does he want? Does he want Deckard to kill him? He's conflicted. He's conflicted. Okay. He, uh, um, I, my, that's again my take on it. But um, but he's also conflicted because of these emotions, that these human emotions that he's obviously now experiencing. And I think it's very, um, you know, everybody goes on about the final speech and stuff. But you know, speech aside, you know, before he does die, um, I think you know the whole the whole point of the speech is. Um, basically, you know, he, he the journey that Barry goes on is he, he, he actually becomes human and he, he, he by saving Deckard at the end, he actually becomes human. You know, his humanity, even though he's not even human, um, he has, he's basically, um, he's basically discovered what he was always searching for, a humanity. You know, he's, before we get to his death, uh, what's uh, the time, the time to die speech is fucking amazing. It's it's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's incredible. Yes, it is. And he always holding the dove, and the yeah. and that's kind of a soul. It's poetic, kind of a soul. As the dove yeah. takes his soul, you know what I mean? That kind of it's, it's beautiful. Yes, yes. But before we get mm-hmm. to that, I for I really watched it again. We always say for the podcast eyes. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford's performance is so, and all he's doing is he's trying to get away from Batty, and he's got these broken fingers now, and he's got to climb mm-hmm. up to the ceiling. And get to the roof, and and every time he grabs something, he pull up with his broken fingers, and he's got to pull with his good hand, pull him up somewhere. Yeah, you can feel the pain he is in. Oh yeah, his he it's very he realistically sells done. it so well. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I we haven't talked about really the performances yet, guys. The performances in this film are it's so good, right across the and board. From Edward James, almost smaller role to. To mm-hmm. see, it was nice seeing uh, one of my favorites, Emmett Walsh, got a little part there. Mm-hmm. He plays Brian, the cop guy. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just solid. And this whole scene, yeah. it 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 actually put me in the environment. And this movie's years and years, and I've seen it so many times. But for the first time, just kind of watching, really looking at it, it is so beautifully shot. And the sound mm-hmm. effects of the rain and his just him. It takes all the boxes. Every and grab, there's two little fingers that he has left. It's just, mm-hmm. and that leads when he when he jumps and he's about to. F- and it's not overdone either. You know, like perhaps maybe a sort of a, a an action film today would maybe overdo it. You know, where it's all about the special effects and stuff. This is it, it keeps its groundedness, so it does, and it's not over. You know, it's not overblown. It's just about right. And when he dies, um, this is where they had the horrible narration. Um, mm-hmm. But when you watch it now without the narration, you don't need a spoon-fed you. Yeah, Harrison exactly. Ford sells it by looking ahead of him. He just stares at him. And he's blinking because mm-hmm. his eyes swollen and the rain's in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he's watching him die. And there's nothing he can yes. do for him. 
But it almost mm-hmm. shows we just talked about how he killed the woman, you know, well, the replicate and how he he just brutally killed her, but that's his job technically. Mm-hmm. And yes. but right in that moment, his character's changed. Oh, and absolutely. you also notice the whole film is shot at night and it's rainy yes. and grab- when he lets the dove go, when the baddie passes, yeah. the sun comes out. Yeah. And there's it's it's clear it's- sky. Symbolic, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's almost he's um, both Barry and Deckard have been cleansed. Deckard's changed, as you said. Um, Deckard's changed completely, and he realizes, you know, that um, he realizes the error of his own ways, and so, uh, as as well as you know, other things like realizing, you know, that maybe these, you know, these guys, these guys were human. You know, that deep down, you know, what is humanity? It's asking a lot of big questions about what exactly it is to be human and stuff. You know what I mean? It's not just being, you know, like, you know, skin and flesh and bone and stuff. Um, it, it, it's there's some deep, deep, profound stuff going on here. And again, it's not spoon-fed. Well, not in the version that we're doing for this podcast. Um, it's not spoon-fed to the viewer the way it should be. And this is very clever and, you know, and very intelligent filmmaking and storytelling. Yeah. Um, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums up both of our views from this one. Um, yeah. Uh, there's what, what let me real quickly uh gaff there's this mm-hmm. real quick and it's not him and this is image of when he's dissecting a photograph or something uh mm-hmm. to find out where he can find these replicants yes he um there's a shot of a unicorn all right yes and at the end gaff it's just gaff leaves a yeah. uni- a unicorn you know, he he does those origami animals and stuff and yes so he leaves the a unicorn and pretty much letting him know, I'm letting you go, because he knows he has Rachel, mm-hmm. and he's he's yes. gonna let them go. But how does he know if the unicorn then? That's where people got confused about is he a replicant? Yes, and obviously the unicorn's a mythical creature, so it sort of suggests you know is he a mythical creature? You know, a replicant? Um, yeah, it's more you know it's obviously it's it's heavy symbolism. It's um again there's it's open for debate. I don't have the answer. Alright, well really I don't think anyone does. Maybe Ridley Scott. He did, he does. said he's not. I think really just did yeah. it to fuck with the audience. No, I mean no I, I don't mean that there. I mean he has, I think he has the answer to um what exactly the unicorn represents. Oh and it's symbolic okay. of. Okay. Um you know. I think you know it's pretty much um confirmed in, in several ways that Deckhart is not a replicant, but it's more I was just quite sort of intrigued by the unicorn and sort of always helping uh well i think this is uh, you know thumbs up across the board if you look at the reviews everyone loves blade runner so it's pretty much goes without saying um mm-hmm. from the score to the beautiful visuals guys i can't speak for visuals enough i love matte painting and old and models and stuff and it's amazing there's some beautiful shots with him climbing on the side of this building and there's a matte painting you clearly tell it's matte painting but it's gorgeous and it's blended with yeah. the practical side of the building it's just something about it that's absolutely stunning, and nothing beats it. Um, and and I just love the little model cars. And you gotta love Fifth Brilliant. Element. Fifth Element loves Blade Runner because they stole. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's an obviously <laughs> a big sort of in many ways stylistically a love letter. Exactly. To it. But and yeah, it, it's it, the acting is so good. When I first saw this movie, when I was young, I didn't like it because it's Harrison Ford, and I wanted Indiana Jones and shit. And that's not his yeah. fault. That's my fault. And I watch it now. I I really do enjoy this film, and uh, I uh, yeah, can't, I can't praise it enough. And 
I, I miss him. I miss that, that, this is st- I miss him so much. I wish he wasn't such a douche in real life. Because a party could be, um, yeah. Because I would yeah. love to have seen him do more roles. But I, um, I think this is like proper. This, you know, um, Blade Runner. I did not. I've never seen it in the cinema, um, and I regret not if it ever, if it's ever re-released for its fiftieth anniversary or whatever. I will definitely go and see it because this is pure cinema to me, and you know the way filmmaking and cinema should. You know, this is, this is it's just great. It's one of the they greatest. Um, really, Scott, two for two, Blade Runner and Alien back to back. You can't really, you can't really, you know, that's pretty, pretty impressive track record. Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right, so we're gonna wrap this one up. We are gonna be. Get- I, I would just like to say, just at the end, that um, the, I would I would say probably the reason that um that you know Ridley Scott that you know made these great films like um Alien and Blade Runner was obviously all down to his training on Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm wearing you up. I I hate you. <laughs> I'm done. Let's just, let's just go. Let's just end this. Uh, but no, listen, uh, thanks for listening, guys. It's great to be back. Um, we're well rested yep. and ready to go. We got Blade Runner 2049 coming up next. Will it hold up? We'll find out. And yeah, listen, guys, our downloads for the last couple of weeks, even though we've been kind of quiet, have been really solid. We appreciate it. We're up 18% from the last year. So thank you for that. Um, you can follow us on Citizen Frame underscore podcast on Instagram and of course on Facebook. Always give us a shout. Until then, or oh, until the next time, the next exciting edition of Citizen Frame. There we go. We'll, we'll end there. Guys, have a good one. <laughs> Catch you.